Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to The Law. This is your Legal Lights. It is your health law. It's an interesting discussion this afternoon, and very many of you are interested. In fact, you provoked this discussion on social media, beginning with Abdul High Moment test or post, asking the question how they feel annoyed when they park their cars at the restaurants and at the hotels, and there's that bold sign that says, you park at your own risk. Ah, why? Okay, what is the legal effect of such disclaimers on premises? I've got the best to help you with platinum legal advice. We'll be right back. This October 20th to 11th of November, the African Football League, who is going to be crowned Africa's champion of champions and take the lion's share of the 14.4 million prize money. Catch all the games streaming at www.aflafrica and on FIFA Plus. The African Football League, our game, our home. Now let's shine together. back this is the law it's your legal lights it's your health law and today once again we are privileged to be hosting atakra and atakra yeah i mean that you encountered them um let's say not too long ago but so long ago uh jude atakra to four and kweku atakra jumo uh they are both private legal practitioners they are lecturers of the law uh jude teaches at the central university and um, Kweku also teaches at the UPSA Law School. And if you remember, they are the authors of this book that is when we talk about contracts uh, as in sale of goods, Atakra and Atakra on sale of goods. So the last time you were here, you told us everything we needed to know about our duties as when we are selling and our duties as buyers when we are buying. And the fact that that is a contract between us, if you are buying, and the seller. You didn't tell us that when we are parking our cars at restaurants or when we are taking a ticket and it says, see, the, see back, 
and there are some, you know, implications there will be affected. So today, that's what we are trying to look at. So let's begin generally, uh, because we're focusing on driving onto the premises of, you know, uh, places. The right place to seek refuge will be occupiers' liability. What exactly is that? Judo uh, Kekwe, one of you can take it up. What exactly do you mean, lawyers, when you say occupiers' liability? Um, sir. So generally, when we talk about occupiers' liability, we are referring to uh, an occupier of premises. And um, first, we need to understand who an occupier of premises is. That is basically someone who is in fiscal actual possession, someone who is in control of a particular premises, or someone who has legal control. So go, over, go over that again. Someone who is in physical actual possession. Physical actual, actual possession. possession. Where the person is in control. Okay, so of the, the premises. Of the premises. So the mm. person could be an agent instructed by an owner of the premises. Oh, right. Or someone who has legal ownership. Legal of, ownership. Of, of the premises. Of the premises. Yeah, so I'm saying this because there have been instances where the court have actually handed down um, certain sort of um, punishments to legal owners when the premises were not actually being controlled by people in actual um, occupation. Okay. Right. So basically, as an occupier of premises, the law requires that you provide some common duty of care to those who come onto your premises. That is, to, pr- to make sure that the premises are a safe place for those who come. Um, in so general, I own a shop or I'm operating a shop. I own a restaurant, I own a hotel, or I'm operating the hotel. Right. I have certain duties towards the people who will come in there. Very well. All right. Yes. So basically in, in Ghana, let me just put this on record. Mm. In Ghana, the laws that regulate this area is basically regulated by the common law. We don't have any specific statute regulating this. But it's also important to, right from this point, we also need to explain that we are looking at the public space and the private space. Right. Because I know that your discussion basically started with the public space. That's right. I'm saying this because I'll eventually make a point, which is basically within the public space, but not within the private space. And, and so basically, as an occupier, like I was saying, provide safe place for those who come onto your premises. That is a basic duty you need to provide. All right. The common law provided certain categories of people who could come onto their premises, such as um, an invitee, a licensee, um, a trespasser, and also someone who was under contract to be on a premises. An invitee. Yes. A licensee. Yes. Then? Then someone under contract. Under contract. Yes. A trespasser. And a trespasser. These are four people who can come over there. Over there. These are the premises. Yes. So this was how the common law looked at it, mm. generally. I'll say, hold on there. Right. So you can see clearly from the beginning that it's going to be a very interesting law class. And all of you who indicated that you are going to be tuning in and listening, start listening and listening well. If there's a premises, a person who has control over the premises or has legal ownership or has actual possession and control of the premises, there are duties that they are supposed to exercise towards the people who will come in there. And there are four classes of people who can come in Yes, name them. We'll deal with them one by one. Yes, Koko, what do you have to say? Um, sort of in addition and in further elaboration 
of the general point of occupier's liability. Okay, so the concept of occupier's liability, and let me explain it. Let me give just a background um, um, insight to it, just for your listeners. Mm. Now, when you take a doctor, for any doctor, when you have a patient given to you, there's an obligation imposed on the doctor to exercise due care to ensure that he gives the patients the right and best treatment. The same way with the lawyer. Mm. When the lawyer is handed a brief, there's every duty on you to execute the task on that brief with all the um, diligence, with all the care. And so you see that some lawyers may be hauled before the, the counsel for probably um, exercising their duty negligently. In the same way for occupiers of a premise. And people can actually be sued. Yeah, people can be sued. Lawyers yes. for negligent advice. Exafojo and law chambers and all that right. are clear. Mm. So in the same way with the premise also, anybody who runs a premise, if you're inviting people to come there, there ought to be obligations imposed on you so that if you don't treat the people well, and I'm using treat loosely, mm. or if you perform your task in a manner which causes harm to that person, there should be a way of holding you liable. So that's the entire concept of occupier's liability, that obligations must be imposed on persons who are owners of premises. And you rightfully mentioned that we have to create a dichotomy between the public space and the private, private space. Um, said that, and your examples you give are all those in the public space, that there should be some obligations placed on the owners of the premise. So that when private users use the place, they can be assured of some level of safety. Because it don't make sense right. that you invite me to come to your place, but you tell me that I can't protect you. Mm. And that's where this whole concept of occupier's liability come in. And as he, again, he rightfully mentioned, in Ghana, in some jurisdictions, there are specific laws on occupier's liability. So in UK, they have an Occupiers Liability Act of, I think, 1957, with an Amendment 84. In Kenya also, they have. But Ghana, we don't have. So it means that we still rely on the old common law rules, which um, he mentions. He said common law. You say common law. What's common law? That's the question you're asking, right? So common <laughs> OK. <laughs> um, uh, so, so common law, um, most often than not, um, we of course, um, the form part of the laws of Ghana under the 1992 Constitution, Article 11 specifically. However, the provision in our Constitution only focuses on received common law. Mm -hmm. The received common law, which basically flows from um, the laws that had been received as at the time most of the general statutes of the English laws were being applied in Ghana, and the laws that we had also relied on until we passed certain laws. All right. However, when we refer to this particular common law, mm -hmm. it doesn't form part of what is in Article 11. Mm. Because this particular common law we refer to is in respect of persuasive common law. So that is what we need to understand. Of course, we can say common law is judge-made law. Common law is there are laws which are based on judicial precedent. Great. But that dif differentiation must be created. Mm. This common law we are referring to has nothing to do with the laws of Ghana. Right. It is persuasive common law. Great. So, yeah. Thank you very much. And just to add, mm -hmm. I mean, and basically we are talking of the common law, we are talking of the, the rules which are applicable in England, mm -hmm. um, which became, some of them became part of our laws. That's right. But as it stands, they don't have a binding authority, as I was saying, that they are, they are of persuasive effect okay. before our courts. Great. So can we move back to the three, four classes of people? Then we will use that to segue somewhat into the public and private place. Premises, right. yes. So, um, as um, was rightly indicated, so we have the, those in, in, uh, basically subject to contracts, mm -hmm. the invitees, then we have um, the trespassers, and we also have the 
licensees. Uh, the licensees. Okay. So the major problem with the common law was the differentiation between the invitee and the licensee. So, for instance, <coughs> assuming you and I walk in, walked into a bank, mm-hmm. okay, so I, I'm probably following you for you to go and cash or withdraw or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I am not a customer of the bank, but you are. Okay. You enter the bank. But because uh, um, if you enter and something happens to the both of us, because you are the customer, you are deemed to be an invitee. I am just deemed to be a licensee. And the obligation imposed on a bank towards me is lower than that towards you. Okay. So that was what the common law created. And this was a gap. Mm. Okay? So basically, so what the common law tried to do was that, and, and, and by being an invitee, there was an implied invitation position on my part. By so doing, what was the bank supposed to do? Were they supposed to put warnings there? Were they supposed to inform me? What was your obligation towards me? And this is what the common law hasn't been clear about. Mm. There have been instances where the common law's approach has been that basically, if this is a practice known to the particular occupier, then what you need to do is that you need to watch, issue out enough warnings to those occupiers so that when certain things occur to them, then their liability will not be positioned. Mm-hmm. Other than that, failure to do so would mean that the occupier would be liable for any damage or any problem that occurs to that particular um, invitee right. or licensee. And remember, as explained from the start, the occupier is the one who has the actual fiscal control, possession of the premises, or, like he said, also has legal uh, as it were, ownership. Uh, legal ownership. ownership of the property. So hotel, restaurant, it's just, he just mentioned the bank. In a bank, like you said, when I enter my bank, right. I am an invitee. Is yes, that that's it. Yeah. Because I'm a customer. You're a customer, that's and it. The bank expects that I will come there. Exactly. But I could be entering mm-hmm. first time. Mm-hmm. I'm not a customer. That's it. It is naturally expected yeah. that I would come into the bank to want to do business. Yes. So I would be a licensee. That's, that's it. And why should the duty of the bank towards me, the customer, be different from the one who just accompanied me there or the one who just entered there? Okay. So now you are introducing the problems that the inherent problems in these um, distinctions. All right. Mm. Now let me just go through them to give... Um, and what they are, like in, in just layman terms. Right. Now, the contractual entrant definitely is a person who has a contract with the occupier of the place. Mm-hmm. So it could be um, an employee, or it could be somebody who has a contract with the person, so the person can use that premise. Right. Now, the confusion comes in usually with the invitee and licensee. Now, the invitee is a person, he doesn't necessarily have a contract, mm-hmm. but the occupier has a material or financial interest in that person. So he has no contract with the person, yes? But then the occupier has some level of material financial interest in that person, as opposed to a licensee where he has an implied permission for, to be there, okay. but the occupier has no financial or material interest in him. So the example Jude gave, you'd have that instance where two people walk into a bank. One is a customer, the other is not a customer. Probably I follow him as my brother. You're right. Now the bank has a financial interest in him, because his money is there, or their money is either ways you look at. I love Mondays. And yes, I'm being 100% serious. Why? It's because I'm a Dunkin' Rewards member. And Mondays are better with Dunkin' Rewards. 
Every Monday this month, Rewards members get a free medium hot or iced coffee with any purchase. Not a member? Join on the Dunkin' app and never miss a deal like this. Dunkin' Rewards. Save them, stack them, use them how you want. America runs on Dunkin'. Limit one per member per Monday. Additional charges and terms may apply. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. But for me, they have no interest in me. Now, this category will say that it will want to confer on me the status of a licensee, but confer on him the status of an invitee. Now, touch wood, we enter the bank and something falls on our head equally. Mm-hmm. The bank's obligation towards him will be that because he's an invitee, the obligations will be different from me, also a human being, mm-hmm. just because I do not have any, they don't have any material interest in me. They'll say that I'm a licensee. And that's where the challenge comes in. Okay. For the trespasser, is clear. It's the person who you, you don't have an authority to be there. So you have some place that will indicate that, let's say, um, nobody should come in here after 6 p.m. Right. If you go there, you are clearly unwelcome, so you are considered as a, as a trespasser. So the challenge you mentioned... For which the occupier has no any responsibility towards you. Even not necessarily. Mm. Not necessarily, because if we go through, you see that with the trespasser, mm. there are still some obligations towards the trespasser. Ah. The main difference may come in in the threshold of liability. Mm. So probably when it hits Jews' head as an invitee, Maybe their obligation towards him will be more than me. So probably they may compensate him just loosely. Mm-hmm. About 100,000, they may find some 2,000 on me. Because the duty or the scope of the duty of care and the standard of care may be different. Right. And that's what brings in the inherent like injustice. Like you started with the analogy of the doctor. Of the doctor, exactly. When a patient is giving to them, there's a duty <laughs> to take care of them well. Okay. Yes, mm. exactly. So because he, we'll call it, he is the darling of the bank. Because mm-hmm. he's an invitee. Mm-hmm. The common law will impose that the obligation of the bank towards him is higher than me. And in fact, if you read the common law literature, mm-hmm. you would see that for invitees, they say that the occupier must protect him of risk he knows of or ought to know of. Mm-hmm. Risk that the occupier knows, knows. And those or ought. he ought to know. Yes. So it means that he should be protected, so the obvious risk mm-hmm. and the risk that they should know. But for me as a licensee, they only be liable for risk they knew of. Mm. So let's say that if the place was shaking, they probably had not seen it actually. They just said, okay, too bad for you. This place is safe for you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the law invited you invited. in here. Thank so you. In fact, before we came, we <clears throat> had this discussion now. So we, we didn't park on your premise. Mm-hmm. We parked mm-hmm. somewhere. And my question to him was that... You parked at Society you know? <laughs> yes, at the bank. <laughs> I saw you. And my question to him was that, are we invitees or licensees? <laughs> because you have invited us. Right. If anything is to happen, so what would the bank say? Do we have accounts with them? They mm-hmm. may say no. Right. They may say that, okay, I mean, we have no obligation towards you. Mm. But, I mean, it's just like, I mean, we are talking of just about a 5 or 10 meter distance. That's right. Yes, but then those legal fictions are created, which... In other common law jurisdictions, like in UK and UK, um, Kenya, as I was saying, they have moved from these distinctions. Because they have put it in, in black and white law. Exactly. Okay. There are laws that if it were now, they categorize people as either custom, um, as visitors, lawful visitors, or unlawful visitors. visitors. Okay. So whether you are an invitee, whether you are a contractual visitor, whether you are a licensee, you move under a lawful visitor. Right. Then the unlawful ones are trespassed, which makes everything easier. Thank you very much. Uh, we are interacting with Atakra and Atakra. They are responsible for this brilliant work, uh, legal work on Atakra and Atakra on sale of goods. Um, so the first time you came here and we're going through, you know, um, the duties of the seller and the buyer. And I told you there was something I, <laughs> I caught and I was going to use. I remember. I've actually used it. <laughs> on, on, on the end. I've actually yeah. used it. I've yeah. used it in court, but we are not going to share the fees. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, 
take note of this, we are asking the question, what, are, what is the legal effect of disclaimers on premises? Because you began this on social media by asking how you feel annoyed when you drive into a hotel, you drive into a restaurant, you drive into a shop, and you are parking and there's that sign, a sign like this one. Look at it. Uh, they are not as elaborate as this, but we can use this to um, show you how some of those signs look like. A sign like this, park at your own risk. Management will not accept responsibility for any damage, accident, or losses. What is the effect of these kind of notices that you go to these places that you see? This other one, park at your own risk. The space is provided for your convenience. The company assumes no responsibility for loss or damage to parked vehicles. Now, Jude began to make a distinction with private and public place. Why is that important? Um, I had to make that point because, mm. um, to an extent, Ghana sort of has provided or made provisions to regulate the area of public space through the Insurance Act of 2021, I think that's 1051 or so, uh, specifically in Section 214, where the law requires that, <laughs> the law actually mandates mm-hmm. that public places um, are mandated to procure an insurance policy for third parties, for, uh, for damages or losses that may come to them. Okay. So that is why I made that distinction. On the other hand, um, whether private persons, whether if I own a home or a house, I'm required to procure such policy, those things have not been provided. And because we also don't have uh, an occupier's liability law, it creates that gap or that difficulty. Mm. So that is why I had to create that. To an extent, to an extent, within a public space, that has been done. But how does that fit in with these um, clauses or notices that you just showed to us. Mm-hmm. So that is where the challenge is in right. terms of um, contracts, in terms of negligence. How do we deal with it? So the starting point is that when we look at these notices, the first thing that we need to consider is whether these notices are reasonable or whether they have been brought to the attention of their particular, um, um, whether lawful or unlawful vista. Mm. Has it been? Please note that because that is very essential in the law we are discussing. Reasonable or, or they have been brought to your attention. Either the notices are reasonable or the notices have been brought to your attention. These are two important things. Right. Right. Yeah. And whether the notices have been brought to your attention or they are reasonable, so the court basically, or the approach is that we how to find out. So in terms of what is meant by reasonableness, uh, there are some notices where they are deemed to be contracts upon contracts. So for instance, I go into a hotel, um, I have booked in, I have paid, I have signed on, I enter into the hotel room and I see these notices. Mm-hmm. They are deemed to be a, a new contract which have been prepared onto another contract. Okay? So these new contracts, because they are deemed to be after contracts, mm-hmm. they are usually deemed not to be um, contracts that can be relied upon. Okay? That is one. The other is notices where the inscriptions are so small that, that it is difficult. For example, you find them in ticketing. Mm-hmm. Okay? You are issued with a ticket 
and you find these notices usually at the back. You normally you get your tickets and you probably been put it in your pocket. You don't look at it. Mm. So was it brought to your attention? That I really don't expect that a ticket could be a contract for me. Exactly. So what's the obligation for me to turn back? And so my failure to turn back and read those small notices then makes me liable by myself. How? So, so, so that is where the issue of reasonableness comes in. Mm. If you're unable to bring it to the attention of the person entering your premises, then it means that you cannot rely on those particular um, notices that you put out there. All right. Then, um, so these, um, so we have the, the contract issue, we have the lack of notice, and uh, we have where the inscriptions are too small, and that's because they are too small, it was unlikely or unreasonable for one to have looked at as if it was intended to be hidden. Exactly. Mm. So, so those are the main issues in terms of. Um, you, you gave a, one example that I enter into the hotel, I go through the reception, finish mm. everything, which means I have entered into a contract. Right. Then I get into my room, and then I begin to see these other disclaimers. Other disclaimers, yes. And you are talking about contract upon contract. Exactly. So, if this was not brought to my attention at the beginning, and then I go in. How can I be bound by it? So, so that is what we are saying that technically, all you, the common law position is that mm. one, if you find yourself in those positions, you are technically not bound by it. Okay. Legally, you are not bound by it. Mm. Because these are issues that came after you had already entered into a contract. Right. If this had been brought to your attention at the time you were entering into the contract to go to that hotel, that would have given you the opportunity to determine whether indeed you want to be bound by these So they generally others. act as your exclusion clauses exactly. or exemption clauses. Exactly. So I should know them beforehand. Before, exactly. So, so I determine whether I want to go into the contract in the first place. That's it. All right. Right. So Coco has been itching to say something about this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, let me start with the last point on mm. the... Um, when you are made aware of the exclusion clause after you've entered into a contract. But there's a specific case that discusses that, mm-hmm. not to sound too legalist, but Oli and uh, Marlboro Co- um, Park Limited. Okay. Now, in that case, for instance, the husband and wife had, they went to a hotel. They engaged the reception, paid their money, entered into a contract to use the hotel for a period. Now, when they entered into the room, they realized that they had been written there, there was an inscription there saying that all properties, all your properties are at your own risk. We, the hotel bear no liability and all that. The woman ignored it, went out. She left her key with the reception, mm-hmm. went out. When she came back, somebody had taken the key, gone to a room, stolen her purse. Mm-hmm. The question was whether the hotel was going to be liable. Now, the court held that, and the court, in, in, in discussing the whole concept of disclaimers, held that that notice was not brought to attention before entering the contract. At the time of entering the contract, all she knew was that she was safe in the hands of the hotel. Mm-hmm. So to spring up um, uh, an exclusion clause later to say that your goods are at your own risk was unreasonable in the circumstance. There she may qualify as a contractual entrant. Mm-hmm. So the hotel has every obligation to ensure that she's kept safe together with her properties. So the hotel is held liable. Now this whole um, concept of disclaimers comes up as an exception to the occupy, uh, not a defense to the occupy liability issue. But then the legal position is that with disclaimers and exclusion clause, they are determined under contract law. Mm. So by merely putting up a poster to say that, um, or, or just as you showed on the screen, mm. all goods are at your own risk, mm. the question is like this one. The question is that, does it amount to a contract between the parties? It's an important question I was going to ask you. <laughs> the, the answer may be a no. 
And you see, if um, not the answer is a no, yeah. maybe a no. <laughs> All right. The answer may be a no, and I'm saying that because you see that if you look at the trajectory of the common law, they try as much as or the common law try as much as possible not to make the occupier free from liability, mm. especially when you have invited people to come onto your premise or somebody comes to transact with you. And so, with instances where you would have, um, say, you purchase a ticket. And you see that it's written at the back of your, t- at the back, um, in front that, see the back for conditions. And sometimes they are in small prints. The court have held that that does not amount to a contract, mm. and that does not exclude um, or exculpate the occupier from liability. Mm. In fact, there's a decision, um, I think Thornton and something, by his lordship Denning, where he said that if the parties, or if the occupier wants to put such ins- inscriptions on, this, on, on that ticket, he must one bolden that or put in red print mm-hmm. and put arrows by the side indicating that take notice of this. So it's to, it's to create a, um, a situation where the, the visitor should be aware of that condition and should take a decision whether I want to be bound by this or not. But merely putting an inscription somewhere in may not be enough to exculpate the, the, the occupier from liability. In other words, Jude, if those notices actually do have effect. They have a legal effect. Is that it? From the explanation that Kweku just gave. Whether well, those notices have what? A legal effect. Um, the notices actually have a legal effect. They may have a legal effect depending on... May. May. They mm. may have a legal effect depending on the facts of a particular situation. Okay. So um, Kweku gave an example, or he relied on the case of the Fountain and Shoe Lane Parking. Um, there are other instances. Let me just um, also reference a particular case. Is it Tomlinton um, versus, is it one of the borough councils in the UK? Right. Um, where a gentleman went onto a premise, and there, there was, so he went, it was, it was a park, and there was also um, a league by the side, and um, the position was that, I mean, eventually he actually jumped into the shallow part of the lake and injured mm-hmm. himself. Mm-hmm. He brought an action and the position of whether the park, that is a, the local authority, was liable or otherwise. The issue before the court was that he entered as a visitor, but there were signs and there were warnings that do not go to this part of the premises. Mm-hmm. If you do go there, you are going to find yourself, uh, if you don't, don't go to this part of the premises, mm-hmm. he went there and injured himself. Right. So the extent to which these notices can become legal or binding is where, for instance, um, the, the risk or the problem actually moves from an area where you have been told not to go there to an area where you've been asked what to use or go there. So for instance, if I enter a premises and they tell me not to go to this particular site because they are uh, full of reptiles, okay? and that I should use this particular path. Mm. And whilst using the path that I've been given or the path that I've been authorized to use, I find a reptile attacking me. Okay? The, that, that signboard or that notice cannot be used as a basis to, what, to escapate yourself from liability. Mm. So that is basically what it is. So you are looking at the facts and the circumstances. Right. So what has happened in this particular mm. instance? Mm. What are the issues involved? Then you can come to the determination whether you can rely on it or otherwise. So from the point where you ended, it would mean that if the occupier made the notice bold enough, uh, obvious enough to me, and I 
got to the place I saw it. And then I went ahead. Then it means I have accepted the risk the occupier says I'm likely to encounter. I'll not necessarily answer as a yes. <laughs> and you rightfully pointed out, I'm saying that I kept saying may. Yeah, that's right. That's because under the, um, the law under occupier's liability also has a concept called warning. Mm-hmm. Now, warnings in tort law do not necessarily exculpate the occupier. And so that's why I kept saying that he may, he may. So these notices may amount to a warning, or, t- or depending on the wording of the notice, may amount to a warning. Now, the warning is just, and let me just take us back to a little the classroom just to explain. Now, under occupier's liability, you have to show that the occupier has a duty of care towards you. That's right. You must show that he has breached that duty. That's where we can say there's a liability. <laughs> okay. So in this regard, if it's established that you are, whether a licensee, an invitee, or a contractual entrant, we establish that he has a duty. Now, whatever happened to you, whether they broke into your car, they stole whatever, it will be a question of whether there's been a breach of that duty. Okay. Now, for he or she, the occupier, must show that there was no breach. Usually, that's where they put up these notices to show that we put up this notice to indicate to you that you're on your own. Mm-hmm. So the question is that has there been a breach? There are lots of factors the court will take into account. One of it was whether he gave you a warning, mm-hmm. of which the warning may not be enough to say that just because they give you a warning, he's off his duty. And that's why I keep saying may. You, Jude had mentioned and you had confirmed earlier that it must be reasonable. Yes. And it must have been brought to your attention. Yes. And it should not have been brought to your attention after you have entered the premises. But just when you are entering. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes, I'm saying, but they form part of their comprehensive factors. Mm. Because for almost every case, also, it's treated on as merit. That's right. Because, I mean, depending, and in fact, the bigger problem comes in with the the type of person you are. Mm. I mean, let's not forget that. Right. Mm. So we are trying to apply a common standard. The the visitor, the licensee. Yes. Mm. So... The standard may apply to Jude, who may be an invitee in the bank. Mm, Same fact, invitee, will be different from me. And that's why I keep saying may. So maybe for him, the warning may be enough (laughs) to say that there's been a breach. But for me, the warning may not be enough. Mm. And that's why I keep emphasizing the fact of a may. So it's a number of factors. In fact, even the amount of money involved in keeping the place safe is a factor to be considered by the court. Because there's there's a particular case where it was a hotel. I think the visitor was drunk went onto the window, and he fell off and died. Mm-hmm. And the question was whether the hotel had been um, liable. The, the court, in a sense, it looked at how much it's going to cost to make the place safe. Mm-hmm. So it determined that just about eight pounds. Mm-hmm. So looking even at the cost factor, the court re- held that, no, the hotel had been negligent in its obligation keeping the place safe. So a number of factors come in. I mean, this show, I'm not sure, will be enough for us to discuss the entirety yeah. of it. That's why I keep using the word may right. on, the, on the disclaimers. But uh, the mere fact that um, the, the, the occupier, the hotel, the restaurant, whatever, they have put up a notice saying we are not going to be liable, may not be enough. And I, again, I, was, I, I shared a, a story with Jude. I mean, there was a case where a person went to a bank. No, was it a bank? I think it was a bank, yes. Mm-hmm. He went to a bank to deposit money. Now he parked outside the bank. He didn't park at the banking premise. Mm-hmm. Now he went into the bank, attempted to deposit money, and they told him to bring something else. I think a particular document. So he went into his car, deposited the money in the car. And left, went no, to a place nobody knew. But then he could come back. Somebody had broken into the car. The question is whether the bank would be liable. Again, we'll go through the same rudiments. Who is he an invitee? Is he a licensee? 
did he engage in an obvious risk? Because the occupier has no obligation to safeguard against an obvious risk. Mm. So did he engage in an putting money in your car, parking probably by the roadside? What did you expect? So in that regard also, the, um, the occupier may have a defense. So as I'm saying, it's, it encumbers a number of factors. But at least we can be safe to conclude that merely putting up a disclaimer may not be enough to exculpate the, the occupier from liability. Indeed, wants to say something. So, so in fact, the, yeah. just to add that mm. the courts are very strict when it comes to these disclaimers and these warnings and these exclusion clauses. That they try to ensure that uh, whatever it is, especially if, if you are looking at certain categories of individuals, particularly children, mm. when children are involved, the courts are very strict. Because the argument is that children are less likely to be cautious or careful as compared to uh, young adults and also, um, um, how do you call it, and also to children who are probably up to the age of 18. Okay? So um, the court normally use the expression, when there is an obvious allurement within a premises, which are likely to, what, to induce children to go to those premises, we expect you to take extra care in addressing those issues to prevent children from getting into these premises. Yeah, so, so when it comes to children, the courts are very strict. Yeah. You're still here on the law. It's your legal lights. It's your health law. We are looking at occupiers' liability, legal effect of disclaimers on premises. And my guest, Jude Atakra Tofo and Kweku Atakra Jumo. Uh, Jude teaches, the private legal practitioner, of course, teaches the law at the Central University, and Kweku teaches at the UPSA law school uh, the two of them together authored this book atakra and atakra on sale of goods which we shared uh, important portions with you the last time and just a while ago i confess that i have used a portion of it to make money <laughs> and which money i'm not sharing with them anyway okay um i'm going to open the phone lines uh, shortly but i'm coming to them so to see if they can get a lot more closer to tell me when can I say they have said it in many ways, but for your for your for your purpose, when can I say I have come to your premises, this has happened, you say I pack my car at my own risk, but something has happened and I still insist that you must be responsible. When can I say that? And when will they say that I won't get anything if I pack my car? at your premises. Beyond cars, we have said a few other things. Um, uh, Emmanuel Hovipasu, thank you very much. He sends us a message. First, he says, as always, very good topic, legal effect of disclaimer, uh, disclaimers on premises. Thank you, Emmanuel, um, of the rent control. And you have also been an outstanding guest when it comes to talking about rents and what we can or cannot do. So the phone lines, as you can see on your screens now, are activated. 03022116911. Call with your questions, and if they are comments, they must be very brief. Right. So maybe I start with you. <laughs> okay, maybe I start with you. So someone is listening now. He said all of the, the good stuff. And he's hearing the may, may, may. It depends on case-by-case -case situations and so on. 
a good number of law students and lawyers are also watching. They have a good understanding of everything that has happened from the way you have taught them. But the person who is not a lawyer, who is thinking, ah, so when will I be able to take the, the, the occupier on, the restaurant owner or the hotel owner on or the shop owner <coughs> on, after I pack my car or the bank, after I pack my car and go inside, come back and my car has been broken into. Despite the sign, you pack at your own risk. Right. Um, so there are two levels to this. Uh, one, mm-hmm. um, because I earlier mentioned that um, we have made provision um, for public... In fact, the, the law actually makes provision for certain um, commercial um, entities, like the banks, um, the shops, um, filling stations, to actually procure an insurance policy. So on grounds of insurance, that is one arm that you could also um, claim for any On loss. grounds of insurance. On grounds of insurance. Hold on there. Evans, you're calling us from Tamale. Let's hear you. Did I lose Evans? Okay, I lost Evans, but there's someone else's line that is beating. Uh, keep calling. So one on grounds of, of insurance. insurance. the public liability policy that requires that for public places, you are mandated to procure an insurance policy. In fact, if you look in the second schedule, it actually indicates the type of institutions. I don't think it's exhaustive anyway, but I'm sure there are more. So the owner, the, the, those occupiers, must procure. Must have insurance. insurance. So that against, you will benefit from that insurance. Exactly. That's it. Against mm. third-party losses or mm. um, damages. The second arm is basically why we are here, mm-hmm. which we have been discussing. Right. And again, um, in terms of the second arm, where you have these notices, the extent to which they may apply, like we've already pointed out, must be in contract. Okay? And the con- if, if, if the notices are up there, the extent to which you can rely on is whether the notices themselves are reasonable. Hello. Hello. Just, Hello. just a minute. Yes. Uh, who, who, is, who is this and where are you calling I'm from? What's the name? Vincent. Okay, Vincent. Vincent. Let's hear you, Vincent. Yeah. I'm coming from Accra. Go ahead, Vincent. Yeah. Yeah, I want to know something. I'm interested in the whole kit. Vincent, put the, is it the television by you? Put it off or stay away from it. Listen to me directly as I speak to you on the phone. Vincent, let's hear your question. I, I, I am doing that. I am doing that. <laughs> Let's Hello. hear your question quickly, please. Okay. If, if I, uh, I park my car in my own premises, but it's not fenced, and somebody starts it, what, what is my problem? If you park your car in your own premises, uh, it's not fenced. It's not fenced. Yeah. And then somebody does what? Somebody come and touch the car. Uh, touch the car in which way? <laughs> Maybe he steal something from the car or damage the car. It sounds like burglary. Okay, thank you. Thank you. We'll attend to it, but it's actually not what we are discussing here. So you you were looking at the second leg. First, you say on grounds of insurance, which the owner of the premises or the one in control of the premises must take. 
so right. that once you suffer the damage, you can benefit from, you can benefit from that policy. Because the whole idea about that policy is for third parties. And that is statutory. That is statutory. It's yeah. mandatory. Mandatory, yeah. All owners of premises. Yes. So, for instance, Joy FM must have such policy. Great. Yeah. Great. Uh, if, I also, if I'm also an owner of a commercial right. premises, I must also have such Good. policy. Mm. And the law doesn't distinguish whether I'm a lawful or unlawful okay. uh, visitor. Okay. It says that commercial, that is the focus. So the focus is on the owner of the premises. Mm -hmm. The second arm is basically whether um, the notice which has been put out there has been brought to your attention enough or whether the notice is also reasonable enough. Okay. And the grounds of reasonableness um, we've already um, discussed earlier that, one, we are looking at the extent to which um, the notices were brought to your understanding mm. and the fact that such notices actually existed. Okay, hold on. Eric, you're calling from Kumasi. Let's hear you. Thank you, Thompson. Uh, I've really enjoyed the discussion together with your panelists. Mm. Uh, in fact, they have given us a broad understanding of the topic. They are giving you detailed understanding of it. And, okay, should I give? Thanks for the correction. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now, I want them to give us specific case studies. Okay. Because so they are like giving a number of like cases. They are giving a number of cases as they speak. Exactly. Like, let me give you an example. Like, like, like a visitor, for instance. If you are a visitor to probably a bank, and uh, they still, uh, after, after going in, you see the indication of you just showed on your screen, okay, as a visitor. What would be the liability of the occupier? Okay, that if has been discussed, but we'll repeat it to you. Whatever. Thank you very much. That has already been touched on, but we'll repeat it to you. All right, so uh, I don't know if you can take on from where Jude, um, I, I post Jude, about the how much attention the notice should have been brought to you, because that's where he was right. uh, before the reasonability and the fact that it had been brought to your attention. Yes. yes so we, we had mentioned earlier that at least the notice should have brought your attention before you enter into the contract with the, with the party. And we, discussed, we I mentioned the, the Tantin case, which indicates <coughs> that not merely saying that it's in a document, but the, the, the occupier should take active steps to bring it to your attention. So if it's on a, in a contract, mm -hmm. it's not merely by saying that I signed a contract. You should appoint me to that person and say that we have indicated that we are not going to be bound by any, um, any, any, any liability if, if in, any property of yours gets lost. The, the occupier has a duty to make me aware, actually. You, you are emphasizing contracts. So there must be a contract before I can claim that there's a breach of something before you will now be liable. I'm driving into, you know, a shop, and it says you park here at your own risk, and I park there. There's no contract. Is there a contract? There's none. And that's why that's we're saying that. So merely putting up that disclaimer may not be enough for the occupier to say that he had put you on notice and that he's not liable. Mm. The ones the law recognizes are those disclaimers which are put in a contract. Mm. And not merely the one put um, at a car park saying that we are not liable. Because, as I said, the liability will be determined from the duty of care, the breach. So all the factors will be considered. The notice they put there may, just, may only amount to, as I mentioned earlier, a warning, which would be just one of the factors to determine whether the owner of the premise is liable or not. Mm. But that is not, an, is not absolute in itself. Thank you. Hello, Abbas. You're calling from Tema. Let's hear your question. 
what I just want to contribute is that you see, sometimes it's not about you see, it's like there should be a security. If you park your car, that person will walk to you and then tell you this is how the situation is. Are you getting it? Because if you put this notice board there, it's like you are giving the criminals advantage to do bad things. Are you getting it? Because they know all the things out there, no one is monitoring it and no one is taking care of it. So they have the access to come in and do whatever they want to do. So sometimes raising the things there is a problem. They need to have a security guard. If you pass, they walk to you and tell you, if not, they are giving a criminal a criminal a sign to do bad things. Thank you. So why in the first place do we hire security or guards to guard these areas? That's a good question. You have a security there and you still put there, you park at your own risk. And once I'm getting there, is the security who is actively, or sometimes they are actually, maybe there are a number of restaurants or shops, people are actually luring you, enticing you to come and park at their end. So you can enter to your place. You see, and the comment made by the last guy is quite instructive. Mm. And because, you see, it, and if we go to the early case I discussed earlier, most likely the person who went into the woman's room to steal her purse was somebody who was working from the mm-hmm. hotel. Now, because they might have indicated that, that we are not liable, that's what um, Abbas was trying to say, that you are encouraging people to take advantage of the system. So I know that even if somebody in there steals a property, by that disclaimer, we are not liable. Mm. And that, I think, even from a public perspective, a public policy perspective, is not healthy. So, one, we don't have an express legislation. That's why we are having this back and forth, because we have to rely on case law, which are um, persuasive. Mm. In some- I'll take my final call. And this will be the very final person speaking to us. Musa, you're calling from Kou. Let's hear you. Kumbungu. Kumbungu, let's hear you. Yeah, Musa, Please, I, I want to say that uh, those institutions, may be, that may be the approach to just uh, putting up those notices. Because you expect me to either walk from where and come to your institution to transact business. So my view is that, uh, uh, that there should be a law that will just outrightly reject those, uh, those warnings. Mm. or whatever we call it. Because it's a major approach. You know, I may either ride or bring a vehicle to the premises. And it is your duty to provide space for me by way of convenience. Mm. So All right. I don't know Thank what, you. Uh, what, what it should do. Thank you, but be careful. You also have a duty and an obligation, as they have explained, to be careful. You must also take certain steps to make sure that you are helping to protect yourself. Right. Um, okay, so that will be our last call. And we were talking about the, what the, what's the use of you know, employing security. Right. Um, so if I came to this premises and say something happened, fire, maybe there was a flood, is the occupier still responsible? So who, 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 you came here? Yeah, I came, packed my car, they came in here, and then there was fire. And then the thing, you know, is bent. Or there was heavy rain and then there was flood and it took my vehicle away or took my belongings away. We'll, we'll look at everything in first place. <laughs> so we'll start from uh, yeah. what, what was said earlier on, right. which is that first and foremost, did you comply with law? Mm-hmm. Then number two, um, as an occupier, mm-hmm. uh, was the necessary um, environment made safe for me 
and that is where um, we would also look at all the factors that we have. The occupier's duty of care to you, to you either the visitors, the visitor, as in the, the uh, invitee and the licensee. Yeah, whether, and, whether I was provided in a necessary safe environment. Mm. Yeah. So, okay. But if that was, I'm sure, most likely to be a force majeure. And that's if all the necessary um, care had been taken. Taking. Unless you have a huge flood, probably watch that where everybody's car. Mm. Maybe maybe a false manager. But then it doesn't take away the fact that you have a duty um, to take. And you see, the point must also be made. You are making a point whether um, the notice should be made ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Now imagine something, in coming for this program, imagine you have told us that, you know, I'm inviting you for my show, but know that all your properties are at your own risk. Your car, I'm not sure I would have come. Right. Because we would have thought, I'd, okay, if I'm coming to a place where my car is not going to be, um, there's no um, safety assured of my car, my gadgets, I might as well just stay in the house. But most likely, and reasonably, nobody will inform them ahead of time that yeah. come, but know that all your properties are not insured. Yeah, are so not that's what I mentioned earlier, where you have been giving that warning, sort of, and you still come, then you have accepted the risk. Like you say, a, a voluntary non-fit injury. Yeah. Yeah. You have contributed to their own, your own uh, thing. Yes, to that extent, if they told you beforehand, even before you came down, look, when you come here on your own, mm -hmm. here we don't protect anything. For that, I think it's quite clear, because under the voluntary non-fit injury, mm -hmm. you'd have appreciated the nature of the risk and the consequence of that risk. So I still say that you're notwithstanding. I think that the utility of being on your show mm. is bigger than even my, my gadget or my product. Then that is fine. You may have been, you might have... Imagine how many businesses would like to say that. Exactly. <laughs> say such a thing to <laughs> potential clients. Uh, everybody wants to be in business. Thank you very much. Um, if you have a word to say for us to close, please, let's hear that. Um, so what I will say is that um, I think uh, it's about time... Uh, we need to move away from the common law right? and um, try and um, formulate and develop laws on this particular area, mm. especially to add on to the insurance policy bit. Because um, even with that, it is not too uh, express enough mm -hmm. to deal with these specific notices. And um, once we have um, regulation or law, that would categorize on the levels of um, people, whether lawful or unlawful, and the kind of um, protection that can be offered them in terms of the duty that can also be provided, in addition to what is already there with respect to the insurance act. I think that would help. Yeah. Thank you very much. I hope our lawmakers and um, uh, particularly the executive is taking note because it's important. Public law, useful to help your citizens. Yes, Jude. Uh, well, I'll say, um, as a last word, that I would add my voice to the call for there's a need to have an Occupier's Liability Act. Because, you see, we are having this whole confusion because the invitee, the licensee, the trespasser, the contractual entrance, it's quite confusing. And in fact, I mean, everybody here has read law before. Almost every student, when you give them a question, if you want to distinguish an invitee and license, in practice, it's not too clear. Mm -hmm. And so, and it doesn't make sense. Two people enter into a place. The same harm is occasioned to them. Now, we are trying to tell who is who so that we know who... It doesn't make sense. And right. most countries, even the UK, we follow them. Mm. They've moved from that position long ago. Kenya and the rest, they all have moved from it. So I think that there's a need for us to have an Occupier's Liability Act, which will detail or tell us who is a visitor, how a visitor should be treat, um, treated. treated. And also with this issue of disclaimer, 
we clearly indicate what the effect of a disclaimer is. If our lawmakers decide that disclaimers are enough to escorpate liability, then we are clear about it. All right. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Um, Jude Atakura to four and Kweku Atakura to four. Uh, Jude teaches at the Central University and Kweku teaches at the UPSA Law School. They are uh, joint authors of this book, Atakra and Atakra on Sale of Goods. I'm Samson Ladia Yenini. This has been the law. I hope that we have given you good education. Catch you again next week.